0: On the 26th of September, I'm launching a new podcast called The Family Tree. One of the things it's about is ideas. The
1: first thing that I ever came across that made me go, wow, I actually want to engage with this more, was these two bards started to have a fight, a war of words, of, of stories, about the same situation in history, but each telling stories with their own slant on it and that that drive to find out which was true really got me. Humans transfer patterns from one place to another, they're creative, they like reproducing and misreading forms, whereas like computers and other kinds of intelligence like that, they never misread something interestingly. They never think, oh, that's your story, yes, and. They're not capable of that. There's only humans that can really do that kind of pattern matching. Egg is just there to provide this structure, which is just made of protein. You can use chickpea water to replace eggs in all these interesting ways because it's just this liquid full of protein, right? So you can whisk it like an egg and it's gonna form these air bubbles in exactly the same way. And then to make a meringue, all that is, is putting sugar into air bubbles and the air bubbles hold that sugar together and there's your Moran. Like, how exciting and incredible
0: is that? Why not just focus on Dean's characters in the
1: X-Files, the the lone gunman? Theoretically, I portrayed uh, a mediated person with unusual beliefs. So the media has a shorthand. It has to, because otherwise every story would be a two and a half hour uh, podcast just explaining the context of any single news item.
0: For more information about the show, go to The Family Tree Podcast. You
1: yeah, being self-aware is not the same as being conscious. What, what does being conscious mean? Like, it just means you've got some agency. Like, yeah, sure. But like dogs. So there's a tree. A tree's got agency. No, barely. Well, exactly. And so is a, a dog. Dog has far more agency. Can a tree run after a frisbee? No. <laughs> Can a tree piss on a dog? O- also, no. Politics I've always been angry about. It was only finding comedy that let me found a way of saying it without just being a person who talked very loudly at people in bars to explain what they didn't understand about politics, which I think probably became tiresome for all of my friends around about 1998. (laughs) Uh, So yes, it was finding a way that was slightly more uh, engaging of presenting it.
0: Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better I want to get better, better, better equations Today, I'm getting better acquainted with Nathaniel Tapley. Hello. Hello, hello how are you? Uh, I'm good. So, we're recording today in the Royal Festival Hall, the uh, green bar this time. I, I often do the blue bar, but when I went over to the blue bar today, every, every table was, was occupied and we would have had yeah. to sort of perch on the side. So, I came over here, and this is the quieter side of the it's Royal Festival. The more Festival refined hall of the two today, bars yeah. Today. But that said, that even though it's generally more quiet, in the far end of the room we've got a group of people who've got little children and I yes. think that means <clears> that they're very excited and also probably haven't been able to talk at <laughs> an adult volume <laughs> no, for a few weeks was, or whatever. So we may well so, get... so fair play to them. They yes. should be enjoying this public space Absolutely. as much as us. But yeah, hopefully they're far enough away that their conversation won't compete with ours
1: because yes. that's why Especially I don't if it's like it's better than ours. Yeah, that would be right, exactly.
0: Worrying. So I, I mean, I like, I like background worrying, yourself, but I'd have
1: a good conversation. Right, right, it right. it would be disappointing for us.
0: Well, it's complicated in lots of ways. It's kind of unethical for me to record other people's mm. conversations without them signing up for it, particularly if they're more interesting than ours. That kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> in many ways. So, yeah, the first question I ask everybody is,
1: how do you know me? The answer is, I don't, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, I, I guess that's the right. That's, that's, yeah, so, um, we have a mutual friend, I suspect. I, I think I we've think got quite a few, Quite actually, a few mutual weirdly. friends. One well, of not whom sort of suggested we do this. I think Casey Darby did. That's right. Um, but actually in terms of uh, having met you it was it's just now. Yes, yeah, I mean, we've, literally, the, yeah, this is we've the just first set eyes on met. each other, we're still assessing each other's potential mates. Indeed, it's that indeed. very mammal moments <laughs> right you've broken in on listeners yeah welcome to our very mammal moment yes. sounds like a, a, a great
0: tagline <laughs> for this for this episode so yeah I mean it's so it's, it's, it's weird how these things go isn't it so i put, mm. um, I put a note out on Facebook saying you know I'm running low of guests on my show and uh, putting a, a call out um, specifically I was kind of asking for people hopefully uh, who weren't involved in the arts because as i've right. beca- as I've become more and more involved in the arts my Friendship group, my
1: pool mm-hmm. of
0: pool of potential guests has become kind of more and more arts, heavy, heavy,
1: yeah. lots and, of and polo necks, and, right? Yeah,
0: and the, kind of one of the the original concept of the show was to speak to you know everybody but specifically not famous people or not Mm. sort of people on the trajectory towards fame because saying the word famous means something different to everybody and it was interesting because I was also I didn't say this in the Facebook post I sort of said people not in the arts but of late I've been mostly quite often interviewing comedians and not just comedians, white male comedians so a lot of people sort of suggested themselves but most people it seems to me suggested other people, people who I didn't right. know. So this, this kind of six degrees of separation sort of thing started happening. And I, my attitude for this show is always to say yes. Okay. Uh, any potential guest, even if they happened like yourself, to be a white, <laughs> white male, male comedian, comedian. But I'll say yes to. And so that's kind of why Katie suggested you to me. Right. Unbeknownst to Katie, I was already aware of you as a, a person. Yeah. I think I first heard you on a... Podcast a few years ago on critical Train's Lolitics podcast. Oh, yes. yeah. Either there or it'll be The Lost Treasures of the Black Heart, yes. uh, Long. Josie Long's I don't yeah. know which one of those yeah. I heard you on first, but I heard you doing your character of is it Peter Bowler or or Ian Bowler yes, Sir Ian yes. Bowler sorry it's alright he it doesn't mind if you don't use the title right 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 and so I heard you doing a character piece a piece of yeah. character comedy and I've sort of been aware of you but I've never sort of met you mm. um, I do a show called Stand Up Tragedy where I, I uh, book comedians as right. one of the yeah. strands of that lineup. like it's not just comedy because it's called Stand Up Tragedy sometimes people assume it's just going to be comedy uh, and it's not but I have lots of friends within comedy and I, I have an interest in comedy so mm. that kind of puts us in a good space yes. to, to get to know each other. I, I've been vaguely aware of you. I think you quite often do Sajila Kirshi's night, I Comedy do, I do. Cottage.
1: I, uh, there, she runs a night in Red Hill called Comedy Cottage, which I do almost monthly because so it's very local to me, so I try out new things there. Um... And just shout at them. It's just an excuse to get out of the house, right? And, and shout at an audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a, a fun thing to do. Or in some... exchange for
1: money, it's yeah, a, it's a right. very fun thing to do. It's about yeah. as much fun as you can have in exchange. for money.
0: Right. In exchange for money is the crucial the crucial part. Yeah, I of mean, that.
1: shouting at people. Otherwise, it's just madness, isn't it? That's just someone on the street who people tend to swerve around. No, if I think do that's it, about right. Uh, whilst well lit and heavily microphoned, people tend to listen.
0: Yeah, right. It gives it gives somehow uh, a uh, yeah a validity Context to something that people generally yeah don't like at all. Uh, so that yeah, that's a good point. Although, I mean, getting paid for it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the outcome of every comedy gig. No, no, um, no it's not always
1: the outcome of every gig. Um, it's just the the either love or indifference of the audience that we do it for. Right, <laughs>
0: <laughs> the love or indifference of the yeah. audience is a. A good mantra, I should be, try and remember.
1: Yeah, of, seeing Ralph after row of blank... There's no feeling like seeing Ralph of blank faces utterly indifferent to what you're doing.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that's one of the reasons I tend to, to not officially do comedy on stage mm. because when you get indifference, uh, when you're not officially doing comedy, that almost feels like, that's, that's OK, fine, that's, that's all right. That's the, you know, if that's not, the job. They're, they're not, of course they're not laughing, I'm talking about sad things. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but that helps me to... to, to, to pretend that I don't need their validation when I, when I absolutely do <laughs> Should so,
1: go to undertaking instead. They could, <laughs> you know, well, they didn't get that bit, but that's fine. Yeah. You're probably having a bad time. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, actually, you know. I, yeah. If, if my metric is to make people cry, then uh, I'll do much better as an undertaker than as yeah. somebody <laughs> talking on stage. So, yeah, the second question that I ask everybody is, "What do you do now?" So, I guess we've slightly spoiled uh, this answer, but nevertheless, yeah. what do you do now? Uh,
1: I'm a comedian. I write for. <laughs> I make babies cry. I, um, <laughs> I write for. Have I got news for you and the folk and yeah. other things, um, and I, yes, go on stages and shout. Um, right. And occasionally, yes, do silly things on stages.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and you sort of, you you write stuff as well as performing? Right?
1: Yes, I mean, in the past I've written for uh, The Revolution We Televised, The News Quiz, and those sorts of things. Um, currently it's mainly Have I Got News For You, and i uh, sort of written things for The Poke, or... You know, I used to write articles for papers but I don't tend to do that anymore because I'm terribly bad at admin and chasing up editors and trying to get paid by them is right. not my forte
0: and they don't pay as well as people think no it they, doesn't, it really doesn't know, I've discovered that myself, it's like Uh, It's hard enough to get commissioned uh, to write an article, but then when you do and it doesn't really pay very much money for the amount of work you're doing, it becomes... And then when they don't even
1: pay the nugatory amount they've agreed to and you have to chase them, it becomes rather dispiriting.
0: It does indeed. Thank God we're not journalists. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They must be awful people. (laughs) Well,
0: they they certainly have an awful time getting paid, Mm. and then when they do get paid, uh, they often... uh, could get a lot of uh, uh, grief I, I imagine whatever yes. whatever uh, kind of journalist you are whether you're a journalist I disagree with and there are many of them mm. uh, I'm sure you get a lot of unnecessary I think they bullshit. get paid more
1: I think the ones I disagree yeah, with get paid way more
0: that's right that's I think Paul Dacre's right, got actually.
1: deep pockets yeah no, well, he has to because he's got enormous hands
0: right <laughs> right <laughs> no you're you're absolutely right Uh, it it definitely tends towards the the less I I respect someone the more money they get paid it's a general rule of thumb I find sadly so yeah so you make comedy and Mm. you the, the the character that I know and
1: um, have yes. heard you do is a Tory MP, right? Yes, well, he is a Tory now. He was originally a Labour MP. <laughs> I mean, he's always wanted to privatise things and demonise the poor and start foreign wars. So Labour was the natural choice uh, through from 1997 <laughs> right. to 2010. Right, right, right. He yeah. then stood down at the 2010 election after the expenses scandal. Um, he promised he'd stand down at the 2010 election, but stood against himself as a Conservative and won. And so he was got back into parliament as a, as a Tory MP. Yeah, yeah. So but he's he, cross-bench, He doesn't really mind whoever's in power. He'll probably glom onto in some way.
0: Right. And so in in, in you know I I no, imagine... he's hoping
1: Jeremy Corbyn doesn't ever win anything because that would be a very difficult party for him to fit into.
0: Right. Would kind of kill kill the satire there. Yeah. So I mean <laughs> I mean listeners can can get I mean that that you're you're working in satire already because I mean you know I mean whilst. There are a few examples of people who've changed from Labour to Tory. Generally, it's much more of a, a metaphorical... Yes, uh,
1: it's a metaphorical... ...comic idea. Yes. Weird,
0: weirdly, for a comedian, you're, you're using comedy in order to explore ideas. I don't <laughs> I know what that's I about. I should really
1: leave that to the <laughs> dentists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have I got news for you? Yes. And the revolution will not be televised. Um, mm. You're working within comedy, but you're also working within satire and politics. Yeah,
1: I mean it's mainly political comedy I do. I guess I sort of got stuck in that fairly early on. I did Ian Bowler first appeared on a show called Tonightly, which was on in two thousand and eight, a long that two Olympics is ago. Wow. Uh, which was on during the summer, um, so no one watched it, uh, but it was on Channel Four every night through August, and he at that point. I'm not sure I even had a party at that point. But after I'd done that, I very quickly got stuck in... I was doing the character there, and having seen that, everyone was like, oh, he does that thing. And it was easier to go along with that, because, you know, it's difficult enough to establish an identity for yourself as anything. If people recognise you for a thing, certainly for a while it's worth, I think, riding the... Oh, at least I'm slightly recognised for a minor thing.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That makes absolute sense. Which came first, politics or comedy?
1: Politics, I suppose, uh, yes, politics I've always been angry about. It was only finding comedy that let me found a way of saying it without just being a person who talked very loudly at people in bars um, to explain what they didn't understand about politics, which I think probably became tiresome for all of my friends around about 1998. <laughs> uh, so, yes, it was finding a way that was slightly more uh, engaging of presenting it.
0: Right. Our previous joke about shouting on the street—that's mm. not exactly what comedy is. In the comedy yeah. has to be more entertaining than just shouting. Yes, it uh, does. Or, uh, or well, people sometimes not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it
1: it doesn't have to be. but yeah. it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And and so how did comedy come about?
1: Uh, I had done a playwriting course at the Royal Court, and one of the people I met doing that was running a comedy night, and one night. In, I guess, 2003, he said, I haven't booked any comics. Would you try it? Would you stand up and fill some of the time as I'm going to have an audience and no comedians? And I said yes, and so I did. And I liked it, and I carried on from there. Right, so the first gig went well. Uh, Yeah, well enough. I didn't do much in it. It was weird, they had a sort of comedy troupe, so what I thought was going to be doing a bit of stand-up actually ended up being making a short film and singing backing improvised vocals in a couple of things <laughs> and just doing odd stuff in fact i think i had to wear a lamb mask and be an angry welsh lamb in a nativity scene as well so it was Wow. it was a, it was a in a not the deep end but in an odd end right of the swimming pool right and how Which i mean ha- they probably should have those they don't have them no, the, it's odd like end. the odd
0: end of the swimming pool yeah, the, yeah. Probably europe won't let them have that <laughs> Probably not. Well, whilst Europe lasts. Yes. So, yeah, so, like, your initial comedy experience mm. went all right. Yeah. And and often I, I, I find, whether it's a comedian or, or any branch of the arts, if you have a good first gig, that can sometimes mean that you're cursed to, to always be sort yeah. of doing this game, regardless yes. of how they all go
1: after that. Certainly the next, yes, the few after that weren't particularly... Although actually, when I was doing things with that group, they were that was always quite fun because it was four of us just doing weird things. But then starting to stand up after that, that didn't go so well for a long time.
0: Right. And when you when you're doing stand up, it's just you. Yeah,
1: it's just you, and, and it's there's no horrible. one to
0: catch you or yeah. to share the pain if it goes badly. I mean, there's people to just, watch the pain. Oh yeah, there's loads of people <laughs> sharing in it vicariously
1: and delighting in your yeah. agony. But uh, no, no one really wants to be. Associated. With it. In fact, I'm re- reliving it all in great pain. Right
0: <laughs> <now it is. laughs> well, that's what this show's all about. I guess. Making people relive their pain. But I um, mean, <laughs> so in terms of the writing part of it, mm. I mean, how how, did, how
1: does that fit in towards
0: like when did that come about? When
1: did I t- that was, I suppose, having written a lot of stuff as stand-up or as sketches for that for the shows I was doing. I then got into news review, which involved performing as a performer. So I was doing. The, you know the running around shouting and they wow. had open submissions so I started writing for them which were topical sketches so again, that was fairly political fairly early on and I did the Treason Show for a long time which was a bright and equivalent of news review which again had open submissions and I wrote a lot of them so I was writing a lot of sketches and songs which I guess put me in a decent position for me to Tonightly just after that for writing and then no, it always seemed like writing. I'd be writing. If I wanted to say anything, I'd have to write it because I'm not good enough that anyone else wants to write for me. Right. Which I think I found. In fact, I did that very. I once wrote a play for myself just so I could cast myself in it. Right. That's been a, long, a theme of my work, is that no, yeah, okay. I may as well do it for myself because.
0: Because so nobody else is going to, at this moment, grab no. you. Yeah, I, I, I relate to that myself. <laughs> To a certain extent, most of my stage time comes from me organising things yeah. <laughs> uh, that allow me to be on stage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the real desire of every writer. This right. The purpose yeah. of all writing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. All, all of the time. Uh, Shakespeare was allowed the craft. to. You know, yeah. It was just to get me on stage, yeah. really. Well, you started off doing playwriting. Did you start off as a, a serious in inverted commas writer? Not that I'm saying. I did try and be a serious
1: series. actor for a while. I didn't get into drama school. I tried to be. Uh, serious writer for a while and found out that every serious scene I wrote went darker and more comic than it was meant to. Right. Um, so I thought, well, let's again run with that rather than trying to fight it. And, no, this is. I wrote a play once about Keynes and Hayek who were air raid wardens together at King's College during the Second World War, having arguments about economics while sat on top of a roof, and it was terrible. I mean, it was really terrible. But uh, again, there was there was a funny moment. Oh, that bit works. But where they start, you know. Right. being funny works right it's all the uh, actual play bits that will rubbish
0: right and comedy, I mean, comedies are an important tool in, in anyone's, any writer, I think, toolkit, potentially. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who sort of sees a, a real split between comedy and drama. No. I feel like they're the same thing. Yeah, yeah. They certainly were, originally mm-hmm. speaking. I mean, you know, a, a comedy in, in ancient Greece or a tragedy in ancient Greece, structurally pretty much the same, just yeah. different outcomes. I think that's very relatable. This idea, I, mean, but I think as time's gone on, this idea that comedy is this thing... and drama is this thing has kind of been reinforced a lot I mean, Mm. are you very squarely within the comedy camp now?
1: No, I wouldn't say I am I mean, I always try and do something that tries to be something that isn't just comedy, but comedy's the thing that I've managed to do most successfully so it's what I concentrate on in terms of what's going to put food in my children's mouths, apart from forks Right, (laughs) right, right right.
0: Yeah, no, sure Um, Yeah, so I mean... um so we're being um, ultra-professional here yes, both we of are. us as,
1: as, uh, as, <laughs> as we, things going around as, us. As
0: around us, uh, people we don't Events know are happening. setting up their their phone to charge around us. We're, we're a lady is
1: essentially erecting a small scaffold around Around us, you. yeah. <laughs> yeah right, speak, right, right, right. Around me. It was, was
0: quite strange. Yeah. I was trying to, to, to keep focused, but if, if my questions at that moment <laughs> seem a little bit kind of like I was <laughs> stalling, sort of that's off, kind of indeed. what was happening. <laughs> yeah. um, so I fully, fully uh, acknowledge that. Uh, whether I would have chosen to sort of like go off on a little tangent about uh, g- Greek theatre yes. at this moment in time, uh, if that hadn't happened I think probably I about probably which I, I know have nothing done. but will yeah, yeah, yeah. happily bluff along but to I, I, oh I mean, yes, I yeah. agree entirely but I can bluff around that one, I mean because I, I, I did theatre at, at university that's my yeah. easy go-to <laughs> bluff uh, area, not necessarily relevant at that moment in time, there's a, there's a difference between bluffing successfully and bluffing relevantly, before we sort of uh, started talking, I sort of ask everybody Yes. Is there anything they want to talk about? And yeah. you brought up a name I wasn't expecting to be <laughs> brought up, but I'm always interested in talking... Not Well, I don't know if I'm always interested in talking about this particular individual, but no. I'm certainly interested in the issues surrounding this sure. individual. So who is this individual?
1: This individual is uh, Daniel O'Reilly or Dapper Laughs. Who knows who he is today, that he could be either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I just thought it was interesting, the way the issues around that have been distorted. so I, I feel they've been distorted. Because as one of the uh, two people who we got very, very angry the weekend when it all went very wrong for him, it's it's been presented as if people were trying to silence him. In fact, what happened was, when I, I was working for Us Versus Them, we decided to write a cheekily mischievous review of his... Uh, christmas album which was dreadful because it wasn't an album there were literally two songs on and they were the same song the rest were just spoken word tracks over party noise and i thought that if someone had paid 5.99 to download dapplast's christmas album they would be very very cross to learn that there weren't any songs on it right or, or indeed there wasn't anything it was apparently essentially just uh, him walking around a party Right, or the sounds of him walking around the party. I, I think he met a homeless person at one point and laughed at him. Right, and brought him into the party. Yeah, and I just thought it was. Um it was a ba- it was a bad album.
0: No, I remember reading that review. I think because yeah. I, I, I I liked Us versus Them. But <laughs> I was sad when uh, Us versus Them stopped existing. Yeah. A lot of the writers and uh, well, it wasn't just writers. It was kind mm. of like all sorts of creative yeah, individuals. I mean, doing the illustrations, yeah. and
1: Paul Curry doing the games. Right. Yeah, it was lots of lots of fun working on. that. Right. Rob Manuel being sort of web overlord exactly. of the whole yeah, thing.
0: Rob Rob running the show. But I mean, yeah. it was a very interesting and, and innovative thing, and, and it wasn't just Jokes as well. It wasn't mm. just fun. There was yes. some lot of serious stuff. Yeah, I thought like yeah. pleasantly mixed in in a mm. different format that f- suited me. But, yeah. but I guess not lots of people.
1: Um, <laughs> not the Mirror, right? Not the Trinity Mirror Group didn't suit them. That's right. Yes, because it was.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because it was owned by Mirror. Yes, and then in the the Mirror. Mirror. Yes, uh, Mirror who, cut it. Cut it. Well, to say cut it free isn't quite right. Sort of. No, they closed it down. Yes, right? so they ended it. it. Yes, yeah, yeah. But that was a great kind of for a little while doing some yeah. innovative things, and you were one of those people involved in that. Mm, I was I, a fairly
1: late arrival, but yeah. was sort of nine months I was, I was there. Yeah, I think I
0: read you relatively regularly. This is a, yeah. like, a, I didn't even put two and two together in my introduction, or right. how we know each other, that I've been reading your work there. So yeah, I remember that, that review. Mm. And that was during the period of time when people were pointing out the Dapper Laughs Humour was entirely misogynistic and yeah. uh, and pointing towards the moment on stage where he sort of basically did horrible rape jokes at audience members and all of that stuff going on, if I remember. Yes, that was, that was. I think
1: there was footage from a gig, which yeah. emerged, that emerged over the weekend, which I'd seen and I didn't think anything of because he was heckled by someone who made a rape joke and then he tried to deal with it and I think he just wasn't... It looked to me as a performer that he just wasn't an experienced enough performer to... Have, he says "I'm like, you can't say that to someone on one side, and then he goes to a girl who right. I repeated can't, the yeah, right joke. Yeah, yeah. He, and he sort of, I don't he think that was him... It. Yeah. Yes, I, I didn't think that was part of his material that he was doing. No. He was trapped in a sort of terrible, mind-blank, ad-lib moment, repeating things that the audience were saying to him, and right. it reflected badly on him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean it's an interesting question, though, because you know you kind of you, in some ways and this isn't always the case but you mm. kind of get the audience that you're looking for yeah I mean that I would
1: not say, <laughs> yes you do you end up your audience are self-selecting after a certain point and,
0: yeah and, and so uh, if, my,
1: my, my selecting themselves as being very few that's right. The, <laughs> right, right
0: right me too I have a non-existent they've winnowed themselves right. almost out of existence right a non-existent audience base yeah. but they are the audience I deserve I guess
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean I think my real problem with his TV stuff was the fact that he was filming also, no, it wasn't it. Really, it was The Vines, where yeah. he clearly wasn't getting releases from people. So it was essentially street harassment right. film, which would have been film, which if he'd got releases and things, I suppose Maybe. there's an argument for. Yeah, I mean, no, I,
0: I don't like Dapper Laughs. I wouldn't ban him.
1: No, my point was I, I didn't care <laughs> if he was on television, really. I just didn't think he was very good. And so I wrote an album of you saying, I don't think this album's very good. Right. I don't think it was as nice as saying it's not very good. I think it was slightly more scathing than
0: that. But he didn't like that response. He didn't
1: like it, no. So the next morning he wrote to Rob, I guess, or just us versus them in general, or tweeted us saying, actually, that's a charity album, so what you're doing is actually by that review you're hosting The Homeless. Could you take it down, please? So he wanted us to remove the review because it was a charity album. It later transpired that Sony, who were producing it, had no idea it was a charity album, no, none of the homeless charities had had any contact from him right. to uh, make it a charity album.
0: Well, that's a good job because if, if he had a contact, oh. then they would have probably said, "If you're going to be kind of really negative about homeless people in yeah. your humour, <laughs> it's a bad look for us to get your to take your money."
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that that day, <laughs> I we said we started. We wrote another article in which we said, if it is for homeless charities, most of it's about how smelly a homeless person is. Right. And secondly, what we'll do is we'll give 14 pounds, which is one pound for every track, to shelter. That was We also suggested good. refuge because um, we thought a battered yeah. woman's shelter is probably something just as that Apple loves
0: might want to be. Yeah. yeah. So we thought. We did, so
1: we tried to get our listeners to, or not listeners, we know our readers to give £14 to either Shelter or Crisis or Refuge, because it was coming up to Christmas, it was in the right of Christmas, in order for every track of his album they wouldn't listen to. And he got very, very cross about that, indeed. In a way that I thought was odd, because it was generating a lot of interest, because he got very cross, he went on Twitter saying, these people are ruining my career, they're ruining Christmas for the homeless. And that's when he set his 400,000 Twitter followers to... Uh, he directed them to come and abuse Abbey. Yeah. Abbey Wilkinson was... Um, one of the other journalists involved who'd written an article inadvertently at-tweeted him in something, and he got very cross about that. Right. According to some people, although we've no way of verifying this, he had gone on Snapchat as well and told his followers to do the same thing. Of course, Snapchat's disappearance, and we've got no way right. of knowing whether or not that's true.
0: And the only way would be if one of his followers had screen-grabbed yeah, it. Yeah, and they and didn't then... screen-grab. There
1: were people who said they'd seen it, but there yeah. was no screen-grab one. There was no so he was then directing 400,000 people to uh, to start to re- abuse us, It was uh, an interesting afternoon. Um, I printed out all the abusive tweets uh, at a twelve-point font, and they uh, was about eighty feet long, a piece of paper, which was um, so it was fine. I think Abby got a lot, well, obviously got it a lot worse because it was much more gendered abuse, if not just sort of, yeah. and For a while, for about half an hour, they thought I was a girl as well because Nat is a fairly I nondescript. Name so for about half an hour I got weird rape threats then they sort of disappeared once they'd realised that I wasn't half a an girl. hour
0: of being a woman on the yeah internet. It, it
1: was more than enough right could, it was a weird insight into the different sorts of abuse you
0: right get. yeah no I remember that all going off because I follow Abby um, mm. on Twitter as well and she's still a journalist who I I, I very much respect her yeah. writing and. and Would recommend people follow her and and read her her work, and it it is always so shocking to see people who. I mean, I think one of the things that I like about her work is I think she is quite balanced, Mm. and she often she often doesn't. Say things that I would say, like the nasty things that I might yeah. say. She sort of like holds back. Yeah, she's very
1: measured and very thoughtful, and isn't prone to the outbursts of meanness that I am.
0: Right, exactly, <laughs> and, and and maybe that's an interesting thing. Maybe being men means that when we yeah, when we are mean, them. we get away with it, right? Yeah. So we don't we yeah. don't we don't have to learn strategies in order no. to. Because I mean, what, what I like about her writing is she writes stuff that that says the things that I want to say, but with but but in a very balanced way. Whereas yeah. if I was saying them, I would just throw it all out and probably convert less people. Probably yeah. actually connect with less people. You know, I haven't had to sure. learn how to be accepted as, a, you as, had a, to as navigate an equal. The, yeah. yeah. So even though she's doing all of that work very, very talentedly, she still yeah. uh, comes up. And I remember it because it was very much like it's always this interesting thing where people on Twitter often I think don't understand the ability they have if they just put someone out there on mm. their twitter feed yeah, if they've got that many worry. followers and if they've got but those kind of followers as well like yeah. the, the kind of people who would like dapper or are the kind of people who go really hard on that i'm on not that sure that abuse often
1: yes follow, gen, i think anyone's followers do the same thing abby and i when we were sort of showing people sort of things going on we were very careful to anonymize or well, to pixelate all of the tweets that we were screenshotting, right. just because we didn't want people. We still got people writers saying, "Tell us who it was. We can go you know, give them the same sort of abuse." And I mean, well, that's not the point. The point is to show this kind of abuse isn't the way we should conduct ourselves online. Right. Not to sort of start a tit for tat, slanging. No, I agree with that. And I think anyone's followers, and I, I do get very worried when I see anyone with a decent sized following. Deciding to publicise an argument they're having with someone to their wider group of followers. Because right. it actually is an invitation to get, like, a different rival school's getting a gang of people together and, and going over there and kicking their heads. And I assume that's what schools do nowadays. No, no, that's I what schools no did idea. in my day, so I'm sure,
0: <laughs> I'm sure they're still doing it now.
1: And, I, you know, if you see sort of... Even people like Noel Fielding or Ricky Gervais or someone sort of saying, look at this idiot on the internet... I just find that a little distasteful yep. to use a much bigger platform to... Uh, And the person they may be talking about may well be, let's say, foolish. I don't think they realise the volume of aggravation that person will receive as a result of a sort of quicker side, which was almost nothing to the person saying
0: it. Even if it has
1: properly needled them, that, oh, this person hated my new album or didn't like my new show, they're an idiot, that person will then suddenly have 400 app replies a minute for the next half an hour telling them they should kill themselves, which right. is probably not hugely great for anyone's self-esteem.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and I think you're right in when you say about anonymizing people, like I've, when I've done things that have been sharing, things people have said, yeah. uh, that have been horrible things, which happens yeah. online, and I think that there is a real, if you like, public interest argument for yes. sharing the words of sure. those people, but the identities of those people, sharing yeah. them, that's a very different thing. And I, I constantly get like frustrated at, at like brilliant tweets that... I see from people that I can't read it because no. they haven't anonymized the person yeah. who was addicted to them on OKCupid or hilarious to them on OkCupid yeah, yeah. or whatever uh, but I'm just very aware that that as much as I might not like those people no. it's, it's, a, it's actually much more complicated and you yeah. don't we don't know who those people are no. at the other end and
1: what you really don't like is the behavior not right. the person so right. what you're trying to publicize is the behavior or the speech not the person behind it yeah yeah, I think. yeah or at right. least that should be what you're trying to
0: yeah no I I think so and I think it's I mean I'm sure there's complexities and I I Mm. think you know I'd be absolutely uh, up for and uh, interested and happy to accept that their opinion probably matters more than mine uh, Mm. in in terms of you know if I was talking to a woman or someone who was you know not white uh, they might have different kind of nuances about what's Acceptable to share or not, and and sometimes you know it might be that you know throwing an individual to the to the mm-hmm. to the wolves uh, in order to. To create some kind of structural change yes. might be a justifiable thing. I don't sure. know. I mean, speaking um, from my position of immense
1: no, privilege, yeah. that's the code of conduct right. I've decided. We've to got follow. no excuse yeah. for it. No, certainly, precise. that's the thing. <laughs> like, I, I might be able to <laughs>
0: understand why somebody else's anger might be yeah. legitimate protest or politics or whatever, but my anger, mm-hmm. as I am this privileged, yeah. is hard to justify uh, throwing people under the bus. Mm-hmm. And. A lot of you know you're you're very right that that throwing people under the bus is kind of an almost an instinctual thing that people don't even yeah. think about and it's two seconds of their lives yeah. and it might just be a full stop at the beginning of uh, sure yeah, <laughs> and that suddenly it's open name. to
1: yeah much wider audience
0: and so so how long so you had half an hour of being like uh, yeah. being mistaken for a woman yes um, Af-
1: after that was it was it still oh yeah it was about forty eight hours of fairly constant stuff coming in. I did, I did print out the most, or I made a list of the most vitriolic minute, which was quite fun, which was about 80 tweets, and then I sort of filtered them by sexual threat, violence threat, uh, <laughs> just use of the word egg, was that, right. that was, a, that was a good, that came up a lot. Weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you stupid chimney, that was a good one, I liked your stupid chimney.
0: That's, I mean, that is the... I mean, uh, I mean that, that, that that
1: would, there was a good point. I mean, that was if, getting some good insults out of me.
0: that was the only insult to you again, that you were getting, that insult would brighten my day. That, there would, was every about but, 20 but or 30, yeah, there'd sure. be a really
1: inventive one that right. would really cheer me up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some great word used there. <laughs> <laughs> you wasic spanner. Really? That's good. I like
0: yeah, that. that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Go yeah.
1: shove yourself up your own arse. Oh, that's OK. That's a... Yeah, that, that would exa- be a challenge. This
0: is... this is an example for people out there who, who uh, want to abuse people online. Yeah, keep it is... inventive, people. Yeah, do it inventively and, and, and keep kind of uh, rape or murder out of it, probably. Yeah, just I would, I would just recommend that, <laughs> <laughs> weirdly enough. Uh, so, yeah, so that happened... Like, so and that so... was
1: the Friday and Saturday, then it got weird... Then at one point, I mean, I'd argued a couple of weeks earlier, because in fact, about a fortnight earlier or three weeks earlier, I'd written an article which Dappalofts had liked, in which I met an imaginary fictional Dapper Laughs, who I'd said was a satirist, a sort of Chris Morris esque academic satirist who had put together the Dappalofts character as a satire on the mores of popular culture and. Toxic masculinity right. was um, that was often an argument I'd had with Jake Yap. I don't know if you know Jake.
0: Um, I'm a little bit of familiar yeah. with
1: him. He's a comedian, but he um, he was of the opinion that this was a character and we should respect it as a character. To which my response is, well, it, if he interacts with real people not as a character, then it may well be a character, but it, it it's not a character that really holds when your when your audience don't realise you're doing the character, and if you're tweeting things as the character. Uh, which you expect them to follow up on, you're not then commenting on the situation as the person behind the character. You're then, there is no difference between the character and the person behind it. Right. In which case, you're not doing character.
0: Right. And you're, you, make, you make character comedy as well. Yeah, so, so this was so a point of principle. Exactly, it's, it's actually a very... Yeah, if, I, not, if
1: Ian Bowler tweets out something, yeah. that is not my opinion. It is a comment on the fact that he is asked to do it or the way in which he asks it to be done.
0: And do you get people treating Ian Bowler like he is genuine?
1: Yes, there are some people who don't... Re- I used to, he used to blog for MSN, and usually there'd be 20 or 30 people a week who just wouldn't understand that he wasn't. And I'd never let him break character in the tweets. and just, He'd just have to say more and more outrageous things until they, so they realise this cannot be real.
0: Right, and were they people agreeing
1: with him or disagreeing? No, generally it's, I mean, I think the internet is a really good source of anger. <laughs> it's not, I mean, people might like things which they might tell you in person later on, but it, you very rarely seek someone out to go, that was amazing! <laughs> Whereas if you're really upset about it, you will hunt them down and tell them what you'll do to them.
0: Right, and I guess, it, it, you know, with, with, with that character as well, It's it's because if you if you do think that he is sincere mm. then you think that he is a politician yeah. and therefore you're speaking truth to power you're, yes. t- you're, ke- you're holding your <laughs> yes, politicians People can accountable get rid- <laughs> you know and it's understandable I mean I, I certainly have, I've, I'm not going to say that I haven't spent years of my life tweeting you know Boris Johnson every time I'm pissed off with some kind of mm-hmm. like uh, thing that he's doing saying yeah. it in what I think is a witty way which probably makes his, it has made his intern have a, a slightly <laughs> less good or maybe better depends on how they feel about my humour Yeah. Day, And I do think that's a different thing mm. than, than, than somebody who's, I, I don't know, a real person. But that's a complicated line because politicians are obviously humans. Yes. Uh, as much as I'd like David Icke to be right, uh, sadly <laughs> he's wrong.
1: <laughs> I am not like to worry about everything, but sadly he's wrong about everything. <laughs> right,
0: I, I agree. I think.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know his opinions on... Um,
0: Certainly. Sats. Uh, uh, you're right. I, 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 I should clarify I only would like David Icke to be right about the lizard. The men, lizard, yeah. Not about the many other things he says which are contentious. <laughs> that is a good point.
1: Yes, let's not go too far in...
0: <laughs> into that direction, yeah. So when people take offence at Ian Bola, they, they yes. might be taking offence at a politician. Yes. Uh, and you push it even further yes. until they understand that until it's satire. Till they understand
1: satire. that it's satire and that there's something. Until they reach a point where they go, oh, this can't be a real thing.
0: Yeah. Whereas with Dapper Laughs, the 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 opposite tends to be
1: the case. People yes, well, tend to think I,
0: he's someone who agrees with me, who speaks it, tells it like it is.
1: I think. I think yes. I think it's fairly. I think it's it's a false distinction that he makes between himself and his character. Because when Dapper Laughs says, and Abby Wilkinson have just ruined Christmas," go and show them you hate them. That's not. That's Daniel O'Reilly who's angry saying that. That's not Dapper Laugh saying. That. That's not Daniel O'Reilly's comment on the way the Dapper Laugh's character would behave in that situation.
0: Right. Yeah, that's no, sure. That's the
1: angry Daniel O'Reilly saying that. Right. And if it's not, and it has that effect, if he's if it is Daniel O'Reilly using that to comment on the way a form of masculinity he disapproves of would behave in that situation then when he sees it actually has real-world results, he should intervene and stop it, which right. he did nothing to do. And there's no joke in that, anyway. No. There's no joke or satire. No. Like,
0: there's, no, there's no, like, you know, because not all satire is necessarily funny. No. Um, but it's neither of those things, when you sh- literally are telling people to do something.
1: Yeah. Even if it's by, by your album, you're like, you yeah. can't... <laughs> and you blur the distinction between the character and the person behind it. I, I think you you almost forfeit the right to say it's a character. right. Because it's not anymore. If there is no distinction between what the character would do and what the human who is you would do,
0: right? And I mean, and that that wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. You was it? Would you say it was was those interactions that caused him the problems? I mean, it wasn't just. No, that no.
1: He'd had. There were people. There were things online beforehand. I mean, there were the petition to get rid of him had already been around for a while. I think the fact that Shelter were very supportive in publicising what we were doing that afternoon. So, with Christ and Refuge, we raised, um, I believe we raised a lot of money for them. It became much higher profile over that weekend. I think Thursday night the review went up. Friday was the big day when everything kicked off. Saturday, it then sort of went into the wider sphere because the Mirror picked up the story. They released the footage of the gig he was at. Right. Everybody's- Again, which I said I'd seen, I, ha- I hadn't. it didn't even occur to me that, you know, on stage people say stupid things occasionally. It doesn't really. Right. If I see that someone's in a place where they're not on script, I sort right. of discount. Yeah, no. Saying, I mean, that's it. an
0: understandable, an understandable think Thing,
1: um, but they so that then became an issue, and I think by that point the whoever had started the petition to get him off the air, which I didn't sign because I didn't think there was. That was my point to try and regulate what people could and couldn't watch on television. No, I mean, I, I just wouldn't... wanted to be able to review his album. back. Right. Like, you know, and I think the interesting thing is that now he's people are pitching it as people trying to silence Dapper Laughs. When actually, what happened this week, that weekend was Dapper Laughs trying to silence criticism of him. He right. didn't like a review of his album. He tried to get it taken down, then tried to bully people into taking it down, and it didn't work. Right. That's the story, as far as I'm concerned, of that weekend.
0: And even the petition, whether you sign it or not, that's mm. not censorship. A group of people saying, we don't like that thing. You, people who are commissioning editors, we'd, we'd like you to take that down. It's very different from mm. the government stopping Dapper yeah, Laughs from being government. able to speak. I mean, at the end of the day, Dapper laughs. Even when he was taken off ITV, he still carried on doing mm-hmm. uh, gigs. He's made some money from that. Yes, yeah. it's it, you know. I don't know if it, I don't. So know if, he
1: had a new DVD out on the anniversary of it happening. <laughs>
0: Exactly, and I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that he's benefited from it. I think he probably has made less money maybe as a result of that, but he's not entitled to I don't to think any money. of us know the no, exactly.
1: workings of the finances of Daniel O'Reilly. Exactly,
0: and either, either way, no-one's entitled <coughs> to no. money for the things they want to say. If anyone's stopping us from speaking, that is censorship, Right. Uh, yeah. and that is not what happened to Dapper Loves no. in my evaluation.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the fact is, his uh, TV show, as I understand it, had underperformed anyway. Exactly, yeah. Although it probably, I mean, it may well have got... It became politically too awkward over that weekend when the number of... When things just kept on coming a piece of footage from the gig came out and that was the story. It just seemed that that it became a torrent of things that led to ITV making a decision they were probably going to make anyway
0: (laughs) on that Monday. No, absolutely. One
1: of those things as well It's like
0: if that hadn't happened, ITV might have... uh, might have just cancelled him based yeah. on his figures yeah. uh, and then he would not have been able to have this kind of ability to spin it all he wouldn't have got to go on Newsnight in the end yeah. and he wouldn't have get, got to do all of those things it he's interesting he's because
1: then actually it looked like he was playing a character which was the character of the contrite Daniel O'Reilly in a black polo neck
0: yeah uh, well it sounds uh, like a character you would uh, already written yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if he did like that article, it's interesting yeah. that he chose to take that as, a, as his uh, position. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I, I think it was quite a character performance. Mm. It certainly is. It has been shown to be not. His full opinion in hindsight, because he's no. definitely given interviews saying that you know, saying he thinks he went too far in that interview, and that here's his new position or whatever. Yes, yeah. he certainly had a lot of a lot more. Well, yes, he said he said speech. that uh, Dappolos was
1: dead. You know, <laughs> yes, he, he'd killed the character. The character he, was dead, and he has not done that. No, no, no. I mean, the character was backed by that Christmas. He did a he released a video over Christmas. Right. You know, it's um, not that I have anything against the character. If you want to do it and use it, that's fine. But which one of you is the character, Dapper right. Daniel?
0: Right. And I think that's I guess that's a complicated thing in terms of satire. Like, how do you feel about satire in general? I mean, one of the things that people often say about satire is how can you make satire when the world is so ridiculous Mm. already? And I guess the other thing I hear and I I say this as someone who likes satire, who's made satire. I'm not against it. But the other thing that, that where it is on this difficult line at this moment in time is that the frequently ironic, racism or ironic sexism or whatever, are are being kind of shown to be just reinforcing uh, these Mm -hmm. things rather than actually speaking any truth to them. Yes. And Dapper Laughs is probably a very good example of that when he calls himself satire. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say he is successful satire, but whether he means to undermine masculinity or not, he ultimately reinforces toxic masculinity or whatever you want to call it.
1: Um, I think satire is in a very difficult place now because social media are incredibly good tools for decontextualizing anything if you take a sentence or a line or a clip of anything out of context it can look it can be made to look like exactly the thing it's saying it isn't or it, it, satire sort of depends on making the argument you disagree with in a way that shows why you disagree with it or in an exaggerated way and if things like that are pulled out out of context, they can be made to look like you're agreeing with those things. And I think that's often happened with some of the cartoons from Charlie Hebdo. Look, if you, one of them was taken from one panel, whereas if you read the whole panel, uh, it's a series of three downward panels, all of which are showing that this is an irony of what is not the case, and one of them was pulled out as showing like, this is what Charlie Hebdo think. Or even, much as I hate to defend uh, Jeremy Clarkson, when he was on the one show, um, there was a huge social media storm that uh, Clarkson has said... Uh, that my, uh, striking TFL people should be shot, and so you watch the clip, and it is Jeremy Clarkson saying, "Oh, I think they should be shot." And then, if you watch the whole bit, what happens is they say, "What do you think of the strike today?" And Jeremy Clarkson says, "I thought it was brilliant. I got in here straight in my, in my car. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was great because there was no one on the road." And, and then they look a bit disappointed with that. And he goes "Oh, of course, this is being the BBC, an interesting uh, balance. Uh, they should all be shot." And so he's clearly making a joke about his own position and what they're expecting of him and what the BBC's role is, and yet that spun online very quickly into Jeremy Clarkson says they should be shot. Right. Which is... And it's annoying that people who you think should be more cautious about this thing are just as keen to use misleading... Decontextualized clips, right. as let's say the other side.
0: Yeah, no, that's an interesting point.
1: Because it's it's difficult to have to slap your own people as well. Sometimes.
0: Well, it's annoying to have to be in a position where you have to defend Jeremy Clarkson. Yes, I mean, I don't,
1: yes, there is not that, there is literally almost no yeah. other on which I can imagine that. Right,
0: happen. right, right. Most most decontextualized Clarkson quotations, when you go back to the original yeah, source, even are worse. just as object- objectionable <laughs> yeah. as they began. But if, no, I mean that's an it, it, that's an interesting point of view. I mean, in terms of Charlie Hebdo. So that's—I don't know. There's lots of complications around mm. that, I think, and I, I, I've heard arguments on both sides that I can see arguments for. I mean, ultimately, Charlie Hebdo more recently have actually yeah, uh, the brought out an editorial, an editorial, and that's indefendable. Yeah, and that's you can—but really. whether you can extrapolate from that that that's every cartoonist's position within no. that, that within that paper—that's more complicated. I think there is also arguments about cartoons. Sometimes the the way the image can work, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I think this is probably applicable to comedy too. Yeah. You, if you make a phrase that's a, that you think is hilarious, but in some ways kind of reinforces the racism that you're trying to satirise. Yeah. I, I think that's very equatable to what I think the Charlie Hebdo pictures often do, which is they have caricatures, which yeah. the, that, That's the image. Someone goes into the newsagents, the image of of, of sure. a kind of a, of an, an African person presented in a horrible way is mm-hmm. what they'll see, and that'll have a terrible effect to if you, if you are you know if that ethnicity and you see that picture then that feels like that but also if you're a racist and you see that you go yeah 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 that's a great image that justifies all my prejudices yeah and so i think there is complexities around yeah, that.
1: absolutely i so, think i was particularly so by the way people responded to the one about um alan Curdy. i mean clearly the uh, image right that was a very complicated uh, yeah. to do with uh, uh the um the tragedy of failing to reach something even as corporatized and as sanitized as McDonald. Was it, was it McDonald's sign it had on the side?
0: Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I mean, there was that, that was definitely a quite a nuanced piece of satire that I think was definitely talked about in an unnuanced way. I think, yes, I and think, I think
1: the lack of nuance and lack of context is a real problem.
0: Because there, there definitely was a point underlying that of like when refugees get to the countries that they're trying to get to, they're going to be treated yeah. badly, and the stuff that they want isn't necessarily actually great when you get it. Which, and is, I think, n- which is not to say, obviously, that making that joke is, is to say, or to, making
1: that point mm. is to
0: say that refugees shouldn't be
1: supported. No, I think uh, there's, it, there's definitely an argument I mean, around was, that. Yes, I think it was clearly uh, a very sad cartoon about it. it wasn't, uh, and in fact, there were, there were two two in that issue about that. and I thought they were both were making the opposite point the way people were misunderstanding them. As making, and it seems like people now come to a point where with are deliberately misunderstanding. Like a whole online life is spent deliberately trying to misunderstand them. And <laughs> I find that right, or searching for things which could be slightly misunderstood by other people, so we can retweet them with a clear conscience and then watch everyone else misunderstand them. Right, um, and I think context context is hugely important, and I, I don't think Twitter certainly allows for it. I love Twitter, but it does not allow you to have a satirical or ironic discussion of anything because the individual chunks are so easily pulled apart and repurposed. As Ian Bowler, I do jokes. I do a lot of left-wing gigs where I do jokes where if Bernard Manning had been saying them, exactly the same words, people would be booing and throwing things and storming out in protest. But because the context of them being said is that character, who I'm clearly undermining at other parts of the set, and setting up as a not an untrustworthy narrator, as a someone to be laughed at, he can say exactly the same things and the, those same audiences will laugh at jokes they would otherwise find abhorrent. So I think context is hugely important and without context there's no such thing as satire because satire involves having a shared idea that you're sort of stretching to a point of breaking and if one person doesn't have hold of the other end of the idea, if then you've made something that isn't stretched and uh, true, it, it's just a big lie.
0: Right. No, I see what you. I see what you're saying. I mean, it's complicated. isn't you it? You, like, have said it
1: very badly. Well, I,
0: I. I mean, it's complicated. That idea of a shared. And then I, I. I absolutely agree. And I've. I've definitely made set, Like I sort of. Sort of the, the first comedy sort of stuff I did was definitely. Satirical. I mean, I look back at it and think it's very unsuccessful, and it did a lot of the things that I wish it... You know, I was trying to do the opposite of Mm. what I was achieving quite often, I think. And I'm sure that that that's something that a lot of satirists have to sort of grapple with, Mm. the finding of the way of communicating the opposite of what they want to say. But then at the same time, this idea of a shared... Idea that you're 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 stretching. I think mm. that's very true, and that's probably not just satire. That's all of humour, right? Yes, for I us think to so. find something yeah, yeah. funny, we have to kind of all agree on a perspective. And the problem yes. is that we don't. Maybe that has always been there. It's mm. just in the past, people like you and me haven't had to think no. about the fact that we we haven't got a collective understanding yeah. because we've all we've all been we have been dead of you the know, plague yeah, or, or, yeah, or, or, or yeah or after that point you know say mm. the 50s or something yeah. yes. um, the, the overwhelming comedy was mm. coming from a perspective yeah. and so we did all share that understanding of that mm. perspective but there was loads of people being excluded from that all sure. the time yeah. but they just weren't us <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's complicated I mean mm. and, and it's interesting the nuance around it I mean the, what you're talking about do you still think satire has a place then
1: yes I, mean, I think it's more necessary than ever I don't think a lot of what people call satire is, though. Satire requires adopting... The voice of the thing you're satirizing or taking an idea or a theme and stretching it. Whereas I think a lot of what people call satire is topical political comedy, which is fine and good and what I spend a lot of my time making. There's nothing wrong with topical comedy or political comedy, um, but it's not necessarily satire.
0: No, absolutely. If you're making jokes uh, at the expense of the politicians in power and you're doing it as yourself, yeah, that's not satire. It isn't
1: really, unless you adopt a satirical voice of some sort, it's not. Um, saying um, Eric Pickles is fat is is not satirical. No, it's just it's just mean. Stop yeah, doing that. Indeed, joke writers, including me, stop it.
0: Yeah. No. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I do find that, that fat jokes, if you like, are are one of the. I guess jokes at the expense of, of, of fat people or sex workers or yeah. people who can't spell those are the ones that just come into every set yeah. like like when we're mocking sexists and we have to yeah. say oh they can't spell and they can't they have, well, they've got rubbish grammar yeah well so what yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. sexists yeah. that's the relevance
1: uh, the uh, thing that needs d- mocking I do uh, I- there's a nice bit I do sometimes when I'm doing Ian Bola, where I especially if I'm doing it to a lefty audience where I say that oh they don't want you to laugh at gay people or disabled people or women people but um, uh, oh but you'll laugh at Eric Pickles because he's fat won't you and that always gets a laugh and they go oh look at you where's Eric Pickles' safe space nowhere that's where yeah. apart from on a beach full of other elephant seals <laughs> I always gets another one you see and so I like the fact that A I tell them off for laughing at fat jokes Yeah. get them to laugh at a fat joke tell them off again for laughing at fat jokes and then do another fat joke, which they laugh at even more. So I, that's having your cake and eating it, then ordering another cake, putting it inside the first cake and eating that, and still being mean and getting away with the fat joke.
0: Right. I mean, it's... It's, a, yeah, it's, it's almost
1: it's, indefensible, but it, it, makes, it amuses me to do it whilst telling people off for laughing at it.
0: Well, I mean, I think there's definitely a value in in, in leaving people at the end of a, of a set going... Should I have laughed at that? Should hmm. I have laughed at that? That's yeah. actually something that's very valuable, and I think it's, it's I like hard to the do. The case
1: of your should I have laughed at that, at that was that they did. Whereas it could also be should I have laughed at that? Because I didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, either way. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm just happy people are questioning their own views and the views of others. I think that's a healthy yeah. perspective to have. But, I mean, certainly... Bringing those layers of like, you know, if you're not sure if you should be laughing, is quite hmm. nice because I, I think I see a lot of comedy that that falls into all sorts of flaws that I think comedy should try not to, and I see that with audiences who are laughing at every joke that I find terrible. Right. So I like anything <laughs> that makes those audiences think a little bit about yes. should I be laughing at that? I think that's quite a healthy thing. Yes,
1: it is. Examining why you're laughing at something is is good, and and watching an audience try and do it is is nice
0: right and I think like, so what about the other side of of what people say about satire and this is I definitely have a lot of sympathy for and when I used to make satirical comedy I I guess you could call it that Mm. one time I remember I got very angry with the world Mm. with the political state of the world I was at university at this time in my life Uh, not that I wouldn't get angry now (laughs) but I probably would handle it differently but I was very angry with the way that the world was and I, I sent this email out to my the other members of my comedy group saying you know you know, how can we make people laugh when there's this and that and like, what is there to laugh at? The world is too terrible. And then uh, sort of sent it all out kind of, almost me sort of saying, I'm not gonna make this comedy anymore. It's right. you know, it's, it's <laughs> Comedy too, is useless, it's, it's not addressing bad. real problems. And, and, and the response my mates uh, gave me was like, that's hilarious. Let's put that into a character. We can, uh, yes. we can have a laugh with that. And that's true. I mean, it was quite a therapeutic character to yes. write because it was basically writing everything I genuinely thought yes. and then putting it out there for people to laugh at.
1: Um, <laughs> I think often characters are dealing with the part of your id that you're wrestling with.
0: Right. No. Absolutely. But I mean, what about like? Aren't they,
1: Daniel? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. But I mean, when you when you like when you see onion articles, which I think a lot of onion yeah. articles are brilliant and great satire out there, hmm. you genuinely don't know if that's a a real story. Quite often, yeah. because of how satirical the news, yes. without any rewriting, can be.
1: Yes, it does seem that we are drifting into an arena where it's getting difficult to outpace yeah, the sheer viciousness of people in power by imagining what a really horrible person would do because they're doing it. And although they have been for, for 20 years I just think we're now reaching the point where they're almost running out of ideas of things they can do so they're just nicking stuff from comedy. Just
0: right. <laughs> yeah, That well that would be... I mean, be... You,
1: you almost can't make up a stupid policy that won't... <coughs> Floated at some point.
0: Well, yeah, no, I mean, in a way, I mean, that would be a very funny, uh, potentially very funny satirical idea mm. to show how, you know, that there's all these PR people out there desperately Desperate searching scow- the onion yeah. for ideas of what new, new, terrible things they can do because they're yeah. running out of terrible things. <laughs> I mean, that is in itself quite a funny idea. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, yeah,
1: I mean, where do you go when when things are the way they are, you know, in terms of. I think of you, go, a, you go silly, don't you? I mean, that's, I mean I've always had sort of the uh, pole star, which has always been sort of Armando Yannucci and Chris Morris, who were very good at saying something very silly, but doing it in a straight voice. So it was a satire of the tone of what was being done and the way in which it was being received and the the ideas behind it, without necessarily being satirical of the content. They were satirical of the presentation as much as more than of the, the content of what was said, which gave them the room to do flights of imagination into all sorts of nonsense right. as long as it was presented in, in the right way. Right,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: And so I think that's, that, if anything, even more portentous and bizarre in the way we look at news and treat news and treat the world. And the media landscape is even more fractured and disturbing than it was 20 years ago. So I think that's probably the next big step for someone to take on is... Um, yeah social media and
0: right i mean i guess there's a little bit of that happening with clickhole and stuff like yeah, that which is yeah, a great yeah, yeah. i i think clickholes are it, very it's, good It's weird it is the clickhole
1: it start, on Us versus them when we were doing it before i kept pitching things which were the sort of broken versions of the and we occasionally did them like broken versions of the articles just as a joke i did one it was during the scottish referendum and it was I think, 18 reasons why Scots should stay, why we should ask the Scots to stay, or something, and each and every one of which was a reference to Ireland, with no comment on that fact at all in the uh, thing, just to see who would notice. And most people picked up one of them, went, no, actually, I think you'll find Guinness is Irish, (laughs) ignoring the fact that every other point that was made was referring to the Irish. Right,
0: right, right.
1: And so I think (laughs) there's always lots of fun to be had with breaking breaking (laughs) the format.
0: A very funny reaction that the audience (laughs) had there. (laughs) I mean, that's it. It's th- th- Sometimes the humour in, in satire can come out of, of literally the way that the audience yeah. respond to it as much as anything else.
1: Yes, click, hold, do it. But the thing is, I th- BuzzFeed and certainly us, then we're doing the sort of thing to themselves. Well, really, I think they're aware of... Certainly BuzzFeed's aware of what its reputation is and what its power is. And also, I think they're doing... I mean, speak on... I'm to stand up for BuzzFeed now. I think term that goes around the journalism... It talks about the BuzzFeedification of news, um, whereas actually BuzzFeed is some of the very few people who are doing proper investigative stories. Yeah, to no, I agree some with that. Actual money into it, and the fact that they're managing to combine that with a business model and with providing entertainment for people, I think, is not necessarily something that should be sneered at and dismissed out of hand.
0: No, I mean, BuzzFeed has some amazing pieces of long form journalism, yeah. properly researched, and some of the, you know, some some really excellent stuff on there, and also, I mean, I don't necessarily think that I don't quite understand why the idea of lists is no. mocked quite as. I mean, I'm not saying I I, I wouldn't uh, mock it if I was making some satire of of the <laughs> I, Internet, think, I think maybe but, people but, but say, mocking it in a loving way yes. is different from like people like lists because it's clear, it's yes. concise, it's a way of structuring information in a way that is accessible. And it's to not people.
1: like um, newspapers haven't been doing lists forever, like right. top ten plates especially holiday supplements or any sort of weekend supplement will have as its front cover of the magazine section, top ten places to go in Greece, or top ten things to wear this, any sort of supplement will...
0: Yeah, I mean I'm pretty sure go back through history and people would have, people been have been always quizzes writing lists and quizzes yeah. and that sort of stuff. And it's definitely the other thing that I always think about. So crosswords is just a
1: quiz for a snob
0: Right. Well and the other the other phrase that people don't like about BuzzFeed when they talk about Buzzfeedification is uh clickbait headlines. Mm. And I think well, sure, I also Get frustrated when the
1: article, content doesn't justify.
0: Well, it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely you feel like you've been sabotaged when you share an article because you love the content of that article, yeah. and the people who respond to that ju- are just arguing with the headline, yeah. and that's got nothing to do with what you liked about the article. And you kind of, yes. I mean, I, I feel like if I can never, I don't want to have any more conversations with people about how journalists don't write their headlines. Mm-hmm. I just want people to know <laughs> that piece of information and forget and just take that and just accept the headlines. What you see. It's yeah. not necessarily what you get. but, but There's said, no such
1: thing as canned laughter. There yeah. isn't canned laughter. Right.
0: But then that said, headlines, yeah. titles, you could call them, have, have yeah. always tried to get people to read, and they've That's often done true. it by being contentious and not clear about what they're going to do. So it's not a new thing, I
1: think. It isn't, but I think there's one particular site which I think is actually damaging to people's understanding of the world because the headlines are so far from being accurate representations of what the article yes, says, right. And that's The Canary, which I get really cross with seeing people share. And cross because I think the people behind it are probably better than that. So, you know, I think we probably agree on most things, but almost every article I see shared from The Canary, the content, it'll say the shocking memo that proves David Cameron is involved in election fraud and will probably bring about his resignation. And you read about it and it finds that one of David Cameron's aides... Um, a bit of battle bus spending that may or may not come up in the investigations that are going on. They get shared so often there's sort of, it's wish fulfilment for the left. They sit there with this self-reinforcing thing oh they're going to, this this is the thing that's going to get rid of TTIP, this is the thing that's going to get rid of the NHS, oh we've got the evidence about that. And they're ill-equipped and ill-informed, A, to argue with informed people and there are inform people who oppose them but they're misinformed as to the state of the world and what they need to do and fight against see i think that's true and fair and i mean i i, I occasionally share
0: the canary but mm. anytime i share anything whatever it's from it should be with the proviso that you shouldn't trust the uh, title yes. and that i probably don't agree with everything in the article <laughs> but but that said i think it's interesting i think you're right i think it does it helped to create this kind of sense of the, 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 the many different myths on the left mm. that, that people have, you know, that it reinforces that bubble that we're all in where we're surprised that the Tories win the election or whatever. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say that, though, because I would say that the, the right-wing press, their, their headlines oh, are yeah. equally as terrible. It's just the reason we hold the canary to a higher account is because we agree with them and they, we yeah. that we want that information to... come to convince more people, to reach yes. more people. Whereas when we see the Daily Mail and it's contentious, we, we sort of go, well, let's point out the badness of those headlines, but that'll help people to know mm-hmm. how that's a lying, cheating paper mm-hmm. and we should never trust it. And so it's kind of interesting. And that,
1: Yes, I, I think the uh, certain writing papers don't uh, have as much to lose if their readers are misinformed, because if you're going to win through inaction, then it doesn't matter if the people you're talking to are misinformed. right. Uh, and there probably are slightly more right-wing people than left-wing people in the country, so inaction will lead to their winning a lot of things, and a lot of the time. And so if you need to win arguments and make points and win local campaigns to stop hospitals being closed or libraries being closed, or get people doing stuff, then feeding them sort of a constant pabulum of hopeful noises that uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is going to storm into power any minute is... is I think damaging to the chances of him actually doing it no I agree I agree whereas if you just if the whole world will just carry on is pretty much the way you like anyway you may as well feed people misinformation lies because inactivity is exactly what you're searching for from your audience
0: no, yeah, no, that's very fair but I think it probably does as much damage if not more damage in the right wing press mm-hmm. as well, like when you get a headline that implies that there is no climate change yeah. and the article might be a bit more nuanced and say there's a study that says this or that yeah. um, the take-home message that all of those people are get- getting is that there's no climate change yes. and that affects policy and it affects sure. all sorts of things whereas the Canary, yeah I agree it doesn't do yeah. the left any any yeah. favours but it probably also doesn't affect policy in the same no, kind of way no,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: so it's complicated yeah the sad thing is that some of the decisions that the canary make are based on trying to find a way of communicating with people that they think is going to be accessible sure. ironically i agree it may be missing it may Why? misinform people as well i think yeah. that there's a that they definitely try to be more kind of Straight talking, right. in their view, and calling a a liar a liar or calling a, sure. a, a a crook a crook, but they often kind of go into a different kind of hyperbole that is just as misleading or confusing or
1: yes. I, I think in well. particular headlines I have a problem with are the ones which make a factual claim about a piece of information that uh, has apparently just been discovered and you look at the article and go, well, anyone who's paid attention to newspapers has known about this for weeks. This is not a shocking piece of new evidence that is going to change the world anyway. The world is not magically going to change itself by the drip, drip, drip of pieces of information that are coming from somewhere. It's actually going to require action, it's going to require thought, it's going to require argument.
0: No, absolutely, I fully fully (laughs) agree on that. Although I don't know, who knows if we would agree on on these acts actions? But that's the thing. That's, we can uh, have that, can that, have update, that debate. Yeah. That's fine. But it definitely, I agree. At some action. Some action. Some action. Some, act, some, some thoughts. Yeah. Some actual information yeah. that is based on reality rather yeah. than spin of any kind. Mm. I agree with that. So yeah, it's been a real pleasure to literally you, get so better so. acquainted with yeah, you today, to really actually nice. meet you, uh, you for the first time. It great to meet you too. The last thing that I ask my guests. Is do you have anything to plug?
1: No, I don't think I do. I, I honestly don't. I am so I have no products or gigs in the No. They can follow me on Twitter, at Nat, N A T T or Sir Ian Bowler. He's at Sir Ian Bowler MP. There yeah, you. and that's a that's good. A I mean,
0: that's a great Twitter handle because it's literally like one of those ones where it's like you know, you know you're the gnat. I am the nut. Yes, because
1: I got there so early. It was only me and PHP programmers on <laughs> Twitter. It was very boring for a couple of years until yeah. Jonathan Ross turned up and then it all kicked off. I
0: guess it was probably boring, and then the best thing ever, and yeah. now it must be a strange thing to watch, having been in from that point.
1: Yeah, it's it's very, it's 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 a bit of a journey, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's it's been emotional. It's just I. I think it had such potential to connect people and it's being partly because media organisations because journalists got so involved in Twitter and used it to source stories and to yeah. publicise stories that it sort of although this may be the self-filtering that's done on my feed which right. is a lot of journalists yeah. it, it's it sort of became about arguments and responding to articles and putting articles and it's sort of weird sourcing of stuff and try and display information that's way too big for 140 characters as opposed to just making jokes and having a good time.
0: Yeah. But then, I mean, at the same time, people get to say the canary shouldn't be trusted or or, or whatever it is. Like, people get to say these... uh, did they get to point out the the, the mis- misinformation yes. as much as they also get to uh, spread some more in- misinformation of their own. and so there's that's of- my
1: real problem they're not spreading my misinformation right right well right,
0: right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's ev- that's yeah. everyone's problem really yeah. isn't it
1: how uh, dare they spread their own st- misinformation?
0: We'd all stop arguing if we could just agree on what misinformation should <laughs> be spread. But, you know, I'm quite glad that we haven't decided on what the universal misinformation is going to be. No. Nope. Um, uh, I'm still hoping for my misinformation to, to, to get into a suit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm going to pretend it's everyone. I'm going to pretend it's someone else's. Yeah. Just to slide it into. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm going I mean to do pretend okay. that um, yeah. Like yeah. Rupert Murdoch's <laughs> misinformation is mine. Like he really right. agrees with me.
0: Yeah, that's actually the, that's, the, that's the probably the prescription for a happy and contented life, to convince yourself that yeah. your objectives are the same as Rupert Murdoch's. Yeah. And then imagine, you'll feel like you're winning. Imagine you're Kelvin like McKenzie.
1: Yeah. Just imagine every right. day waking up, being wow. Kelvin McKenzie, yeah. Have a look at your big bed... I mean, I don't even
0: understand how... Like, Kelvin McKenzie existing as a, as a journalist still at this moment in time after Hillsborough is no. just so amazing to me. It says so much about what it is actually like to be properly powerful.
1: Yeah. Um, is, uh... He's repellent, that's about all yeah, I've got on that, I mean, else, I'm almost, almost wordless on the subject of right. Kelvin McKenzie, he's someone you I can't was trying to balance it with terrible. some sort Absolutely. of uh, hopeful statement for his future that maybe he, but I can't, I, I, I really uh, hope that he's bitten by a snake.
0: Well, on that, brilliant... Uh, that was a
1: hope, not a... That was just to be clear.
0: Absolutely, definitely was, not a threat. It was not an was aspiration.
1: It was not a wish. And that
0: snake may or may not be venomous anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's it, got no... it could just be uh, a puppet snake.
0: Yep. Yeah. Could be, I mean, in this country, you know, it's a, it's a grass snake or, yeah. a, or a viper. Viper's not... So, uh, I think it's a viper. Is it an adder? Uh,
1: adder, there adder. you go. Viper, I'm getting,
0: I'm getting my... Smoke. I only know because I have loads of them snake for Kelvin or... McKenzie under right. my bed.
1: <laughs> Right Flee my yeah. checkered beauties Slither over him
0: <laughs> Yeah I mean although you know The, the grass snake and adder thing Is definitely you know a little bit like uh, Kelvin McKenzie and and an ethical journalist it's very hard to to, to see any difference between them when looking at them but one of them contains absolute poison and and the other one doesn't Um, but yeah um, those are great plugs I love a plug that isn't time specific as well Um, Mm. it may mean that you don't come out for quite a few months and the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience
1: goodbye audience I hope you have a lovely day
0: Bye, everyone. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. On Monday, the 26th of September, I'm launching my new podcast the family tree. When my dad found out about a mystery concerning a long-forgotten friend of his, I decided to investigate it in the only way that I know how, by having conversations. I can't make judgments or say anything without knowing all the facts and everything around it. It's sort of exploring each of the parameters of each potential story you're given and trying to work out how it can fit into each one of those, and I guess in a way it's all of them until until it's none of them, or one of them. Mark Sullivan, who disappeared 15 years ago, was found dead in January this year, when a forest was cleared for a new building development. I see the world differently, having known Mark Sullivan. You're like the, the, the person who's the witness for all of them. Mm-hmm. You're a, the only yeah. thing they'll know of their dad as, a, as an adult. You know, it's going to be through through your eyes. I mean, I guess that's quite a big responsibility. It's it's difficult. The body they found still had the arm and teeth that he lost in a car accident and seems to have died eight years before he disappeared.
1: I mean, who's the dad you'd spent so much time with if your dad is a body that can't
0: be the dad that you grew up with? It doesn't make any sense. Like, even if there's some other reason for that other body, he'll still have died. But... Whether I would have felt different if Mark had disappeared before the accident compared to when he did disappear, I don't know. You keep talking about this mystery and I, don't, I think... I don't know. I think someone's made a mistake
1: somewhere. I know you don't mean it like this, but the question's almost offensive.
0: In this podcast, I try to unpick this mystery through a series of conversations with Mark's family and friends. But I don't know,
1: and there's only so many ways that someone can say I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's a mystery, it's just... Yeah, you said it's a mistake. There are things that I think I probably can't tell you about.
0: But you also can't deny that it's it's evidence. Obviously, there's a difference between evidence and proof. Right. I mean, there are things you can't explain. If he turns up, he turns up that, if, you know, we're fine as we are. He's not going to. So, yeah, I'm not thinking about it because... Because he's not going, going to. to. If ghosts do exist, I think they wouldn't look... How they looked when they when they died, they'd go back to how they looked in life. So, so Dad's ghost would have an arm. And I wasn't sure what you would have perceived that as. It's interesting that now I'm sort of this far into this project, I've spoken to so many people, and I still don't really have anything uh, to fill those holes with. Did Mark have a twin? Was
1: there some sort of shady dealing on the part of the police? Was there was there a mistake in the identification? All of these questions are in the air, I think.
0: I can't explain how that ghost then became a, a body that, that's been buried. That's a, a sort of a gap for me. I don't understand what he's talking about, How about how he doesn't want to talk about it. Right. I mean... He's got two dads, essentially. I've kind of decided to frame the show as if it's fiction. Isn't this just like upsetting everybody all over again? Like, it's, you know, it's not very nice.
1: I think God does move in mysterious ways. There are things that are in some ways beyond our understanding, I think, and are nevertheless true.
0: For more information about the show, go to thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk.
1: It's too much for one person to puzzle out by himself. I don't have answers. I don't know.